Would you pray with me? This is a great day today. God made it. What a glorious way to come in this morning to his blue skies and the marvel of his creation. But the greatest creation is the new creation he gave us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And when we come into his presence as the people of God, we have much reason for celebration. Today we celebrate our salvation, our eternal security, and that our name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. It doesn't get any better than that, does it? Let's pray together. Would you join me? Lord God, our Heavenly Father, what a privilege today to enter your gates with thanksgiving and your courts with praise. We are thankful for all of your good blessings and goodness that we don't say them enough because our memory is short. We couldn't possibly thank you for every good gift. But we just know we're very special children. We've been given great opportunities, great privileges, access to God through Christ our Lord, the indwelling of your Holy Spirit, the security of our salvation written and sealed in the blood of Jesus. We're not wandering generalities. We're here on purpose, and that purpose is to seek and know God. And once we know him, to tell everybody we know about a good God who can give them meaning in life, forgiveness of sin, and direction forevermore. Today we have one purpose, and that's to meet with you. I sure do love this good singing, and my heart's been blessed by it, but I didn't just come for a music appreciation moment. I I love seeing friends and hugging necks and shaking hands, and that's always good, but I didn't just come for that. God, today I came to be with you and to meet you and sense your nearness feel your hand on my shoulder and your spirit filling my spirit and your thoughts filling my mouth. I didn't come for any other reason. I just want to be with the Lord. I just came to praise the Lord. Today I want to see you in your splendor. I want to feel your mighty power. And I pray when I and we leave this place, we can say together truly, it was good to have been in the house of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite you to open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of 1 John. We're going to look there and continue our study in this marvelous book. 1 John chapter 2 is where I'm going to wind up in a minute. I want to remind you that John was written as a general letter to the churches. By that I mean we have specific letters, church to, church at Ephesus, a letter to the church at Ephesus or Philippi or Colossae. But 1 John was a circulating letter, it's a general letter. It went to all the churches. And John was concerned because churches then, like churches now, were under great attack. The difference is they were still in their infancy. And many of them were wrestling with everything in the world from morality in the church that was really immorality from the world that wandered in to false doctrines they'd gotten as pagans that were trying to marry those to the doctrines of Christ. Some who were still not real sure you'd need to leave your old religion to be a Christian. And some who were just totally blank. They said, I don't want to be a problem, but I don't know enough to be a Christian. I I just want to learn. And if you think about it, that's really where we are today. With all the different religions and isms and wasms, there's a lot of people that don't know who they are. They're not real sure what it means to be a Christian. They believe that when I was eight and prayed to receive Christ, that's all there is to it. I'm so sorry. Because somebody disappointed you by not telling you that's the beginning, that's the birth, that's not the life. If you left a baby on the curb after you'd birthed that baby, somebody'd arrest you for child neglect. But many times children come to the kingdom as infants and we just assume, yay, they're baptized, they're okay. No, no, there's a whole lot of growing between the moment of confession and the day of the crown of glory. 
And so what we want to become is more like Christ, maturing in him. And so John, when he writes this letter, he's concerned because the church is struggling. There are many false religions, and some are aggressive in the church, teaching a false faith and trying to pull people away. Many people will join a church, so when they start their own, they can use the church roster as their prospect file. That's as old as first century and as new as the 21st. John said, what you're doing is wrong. These things create confusion. And many within the church were struggling because they were just not sure what it meant to be a Christian. If you have your Bibles open, I'll just give you a quick test. Some of you have not made this whole journey with us. So let me give you three quick tests John's already given us by chapter 2. He says in 1 John chapter 2 verses 3 through 6, he says there's a moral test. Do you know if you're a believer? Can you answer these questions morally? Here it is. 1 John 2, 3. This is how we are sure So I'd have to ask you, are you sure you know Christ? He said, if you're sure, if you're sure, this is how we're sure that we have come to know him by keeping his commands. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll do what I command. And the greatest of the commandments is love God and love your neighbor as yourself. So test number one, are you morally a Christian? Is there evidence that you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself? Not my test, it's John. Second thing he says in verse 5, whoever keeps the word, whoever keeps his word. So have you hidden his word in your heart so it is your GPS? Everything you do, do you ask yourself, is this well-pleasing to Christ? Am I honoring him in this moment? So he says, if, I didn't say it, John did verse 5, whoever keeps his word truly in him, the love of God is completed or perfected. Third moral test is the last one. Whoever, he who says, in verse 6, he who says he remains in him ought to walk as he walked. How are we doing so far? Are you sure? Then he gives not only a moral test, he gives a relational test. Look with me beginning in verse 10. Here's the relationship, if you know Christ. The one who loves his brother remains in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. So the the litmus test for, for knowing that you know Christ is the love of Christ so flows through you that those around you say, nobody loves the way you love because your love is so pure, so concerning, so caring, people long to be near you. Moral test, are you walking with them? The relational test, are you so in love with Jesus that love sloshes when you walk and spills over onto others? And then today we're going to talk about the third one, which is the doctrinal test. It is the least favorite. Many today have thrown out doctrine to the wind to say, no, the greatest of these is love. We all just love each other. Put doctrine away. We're just going to want to be one church. Which things are you giving up to be one? You want to give up security to the believers, a doctrine? Because many people say, I don't believe that. So let's give that one up and just love each other. We have groups that say, you need to baptize babies. You, you want to give that one up and start having christenings in the Baptist church? We, we, but, but love is really the most important thing. It, doctrine's not important, just love, right? No. You'd look pretty pitiful if you didn't have a skeleton. We'd walk around with shovels and scrape you off the pavement because there's nothing to sustain your strength. Doctrine are the bones of your faith. And what you believe at your core is what you are. And every sinew and muscle and nerve and energy source is going to come from the source of strength from your skeletal structure in what you know to be true about Christ. And so if you forfeit doctrine for unity, you just lost. 
Because where there's no strong belief worth dying for, there's not a strong conviction worth living for. So John is going to make real clear here, and some of you are going to squirm, but that's okay. I'm, not, I, I'm just the pizza delivery boy. Take it up with God. Look with me, 1 John chapter 2. Here's what he says. You're not going to feel comfortable, but I'm just reading. Children, meaning you who are young in the faiths. He's writing to new first century Christians. All of them were new in the faiths. Children, it is the last hour. As you have heard, Antichrist is coming, and even now many Antichrists have come. We know from this that it is the last hour. They went out from us, meaning some have come into the church for a purpose. Not everybody joins the church, joins to be an active follower of Christ. I know that shocks you. We have someone in the church this morning that has perfect attendance. He's never missed a service. His name's Satan. Where does he show up? In the church. Baptists are not always here, but boy, Satan never misses. And here's what he says. Listen, these were in, a, in, in the church. Look, look at this. That, that, they, that, they, we know that it's the last hour because the Antichrist, verse 19, they went out from us. But here's the indictment. Don't worry that they left because they didn't really belong to us. For if they belonged to us, they would have, not have, remained, they would have remained with us. However... They went out. What's the verification? They were not out. They didn't belong to Christ. They went out so it might be made clear. None of them. I thought John said we're supposed to love people. I thought he said the prevailing command of Christ would love your neighbor. He's being pretty tacky here. Maybe my Bible's in error. I don't know. But here's what my Bible says. He says they went out from us to make it clear none of them belong to us but he says it's different with you who know Christ verse 20 you have an anointing from the Holy One from the Holy Spirit you have all knowledge that doesn't mean you don't need to ask questions it means you have access to all you need to know to be a Christian there's no secret handshakes there's no secret uh, uh, revealings there's no second blessing when you got him you got all the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form so there's not more, it's just finding out what you got the first time. I didn't say it, John did. He said, you've got all you need. You have all the knowledge you need. Verse 21, I have not written to you because you don't know the truth. I'm writing to you because you know the truth and because no lie, meaning some in the, in the group have been telling you lies, no lie comes from the source of truth. So i got to ask you, church, who's the liar? If not the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ, that person is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Now look at this, because you have people saying, I believe in God, but I just don't believe in Jesus. Well, you got a problem. Verse 23, no one who denies the Son can have the Father. And he who confesses the Son has the Father as well. What have you heard from the beginning must remain in you. What you heard from the beginning. In other words, truth is not always changing. Contrary to today's world. Well, that's, truth is relative. No, no, no. Tr- truth is constant. Opinions are relative. Opinions are relative. Look, look what he says. What you've heard from the beginning must remain in you. If what you've heard from the beginning remains in you, then you will remain in the Son and in the Father. 
This is the promise. What promise? The one God gave you. This is the promise that he himself made to us eternal life. I have written these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. The anointing you received from him remains in you. And you don't need anyone to teach you meaning about the basics of how to be a Christian. We're always learning new truth. But you don't need to have, you don't need people say to you, well, you don't really know what it means to be a Christian. Let, let, me, let me enlarge your understanding, really, how to be a Christian. He says, no, you, you, you got that. You don't, 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 don't let go of that. His anointing teaches you about all things. And it's true and it's not a lie. Just as it's been taught you, remain in him. Verse 28. So now, little children, remain in him so that when he appears, we may have boldness and not be ashamed before him at his coming. It is the last hour. I don't think anybody would deny that. But there's some who say of John, then, boy, was he messed up. It's been 2,000 years since he wrote that. He just didn't get it. No, John is not speaking in terms of, I know Christ is coming soon. He's given me a hidden revelation, and I know when it is. Listen, Jesus, when asked directly, when is the end coming? He said, only the Father knows. I don't know. When you say you know when he's coming, you're saying I'm smarter than Jesus. I always find it comforting when people say, Pastor, when is Christ coming? I said, he didn't know. <laughs> Are y'all listening? See, if you can quote an authority and he said, I don't know, I think Jesus is a pretty good authority. And so when people say, I know exactly when he's coming, I think, my, my, you have an inside track to God that Jesus didn't have. No, I say, I'm sorry, you're mistaken because only the Father in heaven knows. John says the last hour, what does that mean? The last hour in the Jewish mindset was, When Messiah comes, the last age is in place. The next great event on the horizon is the coming of Christ. The world in the Old Testament looked ahead to the the coming of the age of the Messiah. When Messiah had come, then it was the last age for the next great event was when all the world would be coming under his authority and the Lord God will reign on his throne forever. John said we're in that age. And he said, one of the indications we're in that age, and we are in that age, Antichrist has come. Antichrist is a word only used by John. He uses it four times in five verses. 1 John 2, 18, 1 John 2, 22, 1 John 4, 3, and 2 John 7. He's the only one that uses the word Antichrist. Now, don't think that that means the, the word is not there in another form. In John, he's used the word Antichrist, but the same person is spoken of by Paul When he says the man of lawlessness and the man of sin is coming. Daniel in that bizarre passage in Daniel chapter 7 sees all these horns and kings and all these things. And one of the horns has a mouth and eyes. That's an unusual horn. But he uses it to talk about the iniquity of the one who is the Antichrist. Daniel chapter 7. Jesus said in Matthew 25, don't be deceived. Many false Christs will come. And then the end will be. What's the difference between the Antichrist and the spirit of the Antichrist and the Lord God who is Christ? Christ came from above. The Antichrist ascends from the pit of hell. Christ came in the Father's name. The Antichrist will come in his own name. Christ humbled himself. The Antichrist exalts himself. Christ was despised. The Antichrist will be admired and worshipped. On the earth, Christ will be exalted ultimately. Antichrist will be cast down forever into hell. Christ came to do his Father's will. 
The Antichrist makes it clear, I'm here to do my own will. Christ came to save. The Antichrist, representing Satan, comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Christ is the truth. The Antichrist is a liar. There are many Antichrists. John said, he said, the spirit of Antichrist is already in the world. And you know, if he thought it was bad then, oh my. Antichrists are those who in the spirit of the Antichrist work in many teachers to gather followers around them to propagate their untruth. The place where Antichrist spirits show up is always in the church. Why? It's always easier to take somebody who has a belief and steer them away from that belief than it is to take somebody who has no belief and get them to believe a lie. Isn't that bizarre? Do you know the number one mission field of Mormons? Baptist churches. Do you know why? We're not deep enough in the Word of God to stand off that which is error. And so we hear it and say, oh, that sounds good to me. And they rejoice that one of the greatest outreach posts in the South is among Baptist people who become Mormon. Boy. False teachers have an influence among the flock of God. Many times they are leaders within the church. Isn't that sad? If you're, most of you got white hair like me or no hair if it's fallen out. But you remember when people in the church that were respected by leaders. At some point, the pastor may have recognized them as a Sunday school teacher of the year. Somebody may have said, we're going to ordain John or Jack or whoever. And, and, and they're seen as leaders of the church. But somewhere along the way, they get off in a vein of untruth. And then they have unusual clout because people say, well, I thought he's okay, preacher. You ordained him. I, I thought they were okay. They were a teacher. Who does Satan love to use to deceive many? A leader. Many times those in the church that are leaders that get off track, not only, not only get off track themselves, they rejoice. Look how many I brought with me. I must be telling the truth, preacher. You're the one that's got the problem. Because so often people say, well, if they've got that many following them, they must be telling the truth. Really? Hmm. The word antichrist can mean instead of. It doesn't just mean opposed to. It can mean instead of. And we have many today who teach an instead of Jesus. I'm not picking on one group in particular, but I, I think you know this. But if not, you need to know this. For instance, you'll see two young men knocking on doors through the community from the Mormon church, Church of the Latter-day Saints. And they'll, they'll get around to talking to you about Jesus. And here's what you need to ask them. Tell me about your Jesus. Do you know the biblical Jesus? Because if not, they're going to make it real slick. And here's what they say. God had two sons, one named Jesus one named Lucifer. Jesus was a good son, Lucifer was a bad son. And Lucifer, Lu- Lucifer prevailed in iniquity, but Jesus, Jesus wound up doing good. And Jesus and Lucifer are really brothers. Where is that in your Bible? Jehovah's Witnesses have people that want to draw them into the kingdom outpost. Do you know what happened? Charles Taze Russell was a young man, went to a Baptist camp meeting, heard the preacher preach on hell and scared the daylights out of him. Instead of repenting, he went home, determined he would mark out everything that had to do with judgment. And then he came back to say, only 144,000 go to heaven, but there is no hell. You just get annihilated. Do you know the biblical truth about Jesus as the judge of the universe? There's always wolves who come in sheep's clothing. They're persuasive, charismatic personalities. They speak with confidence. They may have even been commended. 
as being leaders in the past, they have a similar pattern. They're the group that always says, well, you know, we want to go deeper. They don't do outreach, so they're deeper in Jesus. Jesus said, I came to seek and save those that are lost. When somebody says, well, no, we don't do that. We're just into the deeper life. You better come back up to the shallows. You've gone too far down. When you don't follow the master and do what the master commanded, you're not following the master of Scripture. The Bible says these people come seeking deeper things. They say they are the church. They say it's dead. and we, 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 we don't want to spend our efforts bringing it to life. Uh, it's God's church. I didn't know he set up a, a, a bar of umpires on the earth to give us a score. Did you? They have a similar pattern when they leave. They said, we, we've come, we, we found such a new truth. Really? Really? So, so God waited 2,000 years to show you something he has not shown for 2,000 years among all the other saints of God. Teachers' pride sometimes lures them into seeking a larger position. And so the more they teach and they find people willing to listen, they feel like, well, it must be so. Look at how many people have come after us. First century church was much like the one today. They had many people leave them after other beliefs and practices that were not gospel. I've talked to some of you as teachers when some leave your class and you hurt. Why? Because you poured into them. You prayed with them when they were hurting. You ministered to them. Your church, your, your people in your class took them in. There was fellowship and laughter. And when they leave, you feel like there's a hole in your heart. Can I tell you as a pastor, that's the same. But it hurts me even more when somebody leaves and takes folks, folks with them into something that's a false faith. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying people don't feel led to go to a different church of like or people who say, I just believe we ought to be here. And it's a strong Baptist church, strong church that teaches the truth, and they left, I believe, under conviction of God. But there are those that leave under a cloud, and they leave the church wounded and confused, and people are asking, why'd they go? And it creates, it creates unsettledness in others. Now, I want you to look at verse 19. John doesn't mince words. Though John said, listen, the sign of knowing Christ is that you love your brother. When a person's a heretic, they're no longer your brother. They're an enemy of the gospel. Look at verse 19. Look what he says in John chapter 2. In verse 19, he says, they went out from us. They didn't belong to us. Now, now notice here something he doesn't say. We're, we're, the, we're the worst. We're the worst because we love people. We're the worst offenders of this verse. We, we don't mean to be ugly, but I want you to see what he said and what we do. And you tell me if we're not in conflict with John and Scripture. So often somebody can be really ugly and do really strange things, take people with them and create a real ruckus and a sore in the church. And the first thing people say, you know, we need to go visit them, bring them back. John didn't say that. He said, they went out from us, but they don't belong to us. I'm not talking about the person who, who, who was caught in sin and needs the, the touch of God's forgiveness and be re, 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 reinstated. I'm not talking about the person who's gone through a series of hurts and they're wounded on the side of the road. You go pick them up and bring them back. I'm talking about the person who is willfully set against the teachings of your class and this church that say, we're taking ours and going elsewhere. Do not go back and get a cancer and put it back in the body. I don't know a single surgeon, once they take your tumor out, say, let me transplant it back and hopefully it'll become good cells. John said they went out from us to show us something. They didn't belong to us. 
If they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. Pretty good, pretty, pretty good wisdom. They went out so that it might be made clear none of them belongs to us. Their departure was not expected, was not unexpected. They went out from under the authority of the church that they said they loved. They measure their importance on how many they could take with them, and they feel vindicated as several leave when they leave saying, See, we, we're right. Or all these people, our friends wouldn't have come with us. You know many people are where they are because of friendship, not conviction. In the church and outside the church. Some profess to have a new revelation of God. Some a new teaching and some a brand new anointing. I find it interesting. John said, you don't need to seek, verse 20, you don't need to seek a new anointing. You have an anointing. Verse 20, you don't need to seek, you don't need to seek an anointing. You have it. And that's going to confuse some folks. Because there's some who teach, no, when you were saved, now you you had your sins forgiven, but you need to to get the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You you need that anointing. Really? Maybe John wasn't close enough to Jesus to know the truth. Is that possible? Maybe John was deeply confused. Maybe John didn't understand. Look, look, Look what it says here. It says, you have an anointing from the Holy One. You have the knowledge you need. What does that mean? To be a Christian, you have what you need. Now, now I want you to hear me. There are many Baptists who do not live what we profess. We do not live what we possess. We do not dwell in the power of the Almighty that we declare we know. What do I mean by that? Many in this room, if we went around the room and gave testimonies, your boldest statement would be, I was saved at an age and baptized. And what has God done with you, through you, and in you for this lifetime? I was saved and I was baptized. I know I'm going to heaven. So God saved us to be sitting in the bleachers to watch the contest of good and evil go on and we'd be totally disengaged. What kind of army is that? You see, the truth is, God saved us for a purpose. He filled us for a purpose. And when he fills us with power and we live as anemic Christians, something is wrong within us, not with God. The truth is, he has given us all power and all authority. Jesus said, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. What kind of power did God give Jesus? All power. And the church today acts like we're pitiful children with our hands reaching out as beggars for a little gift from heaven God help us you think the world would be different if Christians lived in the power of the almighty (laughs) I don't guess so (laughs) do you think the church would be different if Christians lived in the power of the almighty 